Six Pack Double Feature presents Pick Six, where the guys round out a top five list with one extra. Insults, oddities, cartoons, it's all there. And of course, beer. Tell us your picks, guys. Oh, it's going to synchronize. Well, even if it is, I it wasn't happening this time. No, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Oh, that's refreshing. Drinking it. Hey, it's 1030. We waited till 1030 today. Yeah. Because <laughs> we didn't want to drink at 930 <laughs> when, you got when I got here. <laughs> I was still finishing coffee and a little bit of breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's almost noon. It's, it's, it's definitely it's five o'clock somewhere. It's, noon, so it's after midnight. Right. Um, welcome to it, gang. It's pick six. I'm not Nathan. And I am not Travis. Still. Not to this day. We've got a uh, – I, I think it's, it's an interesting one today. Uh, Nathan's called it film school. And yeah, he uh, he realized the other day that we needed to record one more episode, and he said, we, hey, we really need- didn't like a lot of the ones we we had. We we're like, no, nah, I don't yeah, want to do that one. No, nah, I don't want that one. And he said, film school, and I went. Like, yeah. I was I was a little drunk, and I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. And then the next day, I was like, oh, okay, I need to see. I, I sobered up list. and went. I got to do homework. That's now. That's a lot of fucking work. Well, man. not just that. It's because we had to kind of we had to decide how, what, what that meant, what it meant. And so, I guess before we go into our lists, yeah. What did you mean? By I films? put it down. I'm like these six films kind of represent all you would need to know on how to make a great film. I want to say a perfect film because no film can truly be perfect in some ways. True, because it's always a matter of opinion. Absolutely. Um, Please tune in for our episode pick six perfect movies <laughs> later this season. <laughs> or you've already heard it. Or you've the already two. heard it. <laughs> No film can be absolutely perfect other are, than the ones that we are organized, except we, when it comes to scheduling. We don't fucking know when these are going to air or when they're yeah. going to uh, we, we don't do them in any specific order. I initially took film school as like – my first thought was movies that kind of make you want to make a movie. Okay. Like inspire you. But these, ones, these ones can easily do that. I kind of used mine as lessons. And, and that's what lessons I, to learn. That's what I ended up doing because I because the the movies themselves aren't necessarily going to be like you absolutely need to do this, but right start thinking in this way or so, this is how they did this. And so what I did was I came up with six things that you need for, in my opinion, a good movie. Okay, and and then six movies that I think represent one of those things. So like I've got you need a story, you need a good crew or dedicated crew and director, mm-hmm. uh, you need a good cast. Um, you need fucking pacing. <laughs> you need uh, a good title. Oh, that is a good one. I never thought about a good title. But yeah, that's definitely a – mine deal with like – Oh, and a score or soundtrack. Mine deal with like budget and you know trying to break the mold and narrative structure. Okay. Like yeah, yeah. don't fall into the norms. Simple is often better. Absolutely. To, and know your strengths. Yep. Um, surround yourself with great collabor- collaborators. Mm-hmm. Um, playing on primal instincts will always keep the audience engaged. Sure. And yep. learn from your mistakes. So, what's your number six? Oh, you guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? Giggling like a bunch of young bros in a schoolyard. Well, let me tell a joke. Five guys sitting at a bullpen, San Quentin. Wondering how the fuck they got there. What did we do wrong? What should have we done? What didn't we do? Whatever. That, it's your fault, my fault, his fault. All that bullshit. Finally, someone comes up with the idea. Wait a minute. Why we were planning this caper? All we did was sit around and tell fucking jokes. 
Got the message? Well, I don't mean to holler at you. This cape is over, and I'm sure it's going to be a successful one. Hell, we'll get down to Hawaiian Islands. I'll roar and laugh with all of you. Find me a different character than I'm here. Right now, it's a matter of business. With the exception of Eddie and myself, and we already know, we're going to be using aliases on this job. Under no circumstances do I want any one of you to relate to each other by your Christian names. And I don't want any talk about yourself personally. That includes where you've been, your wife's name, where you might have done time, where a bank maybe arrived in, say, Petersburg. All I want you guys to talk about, if you have to, is what you're going to do. That should do it. Hear your names. Mr. Brown, Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Blue, Mr. Orange, Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? Because you're a faggot, all right? <laughs> Why can't we pick our own colors? No way, no way. Tried it once, it doesn't work. You get four guys all fighting over who's going to be Mr. Black. But they don't know each other, so nobody wants to back down. No way. I pick. You're Mr. Pink. Be thankful you're not Mr. Yellow. Yeah, yeah, but Mr. Brown, that's a little too close to Mr. Shit. Well, Mr. Pink sounds like Mr. Pussy. How about if I'm Mr. Purple? I mean, that sounds good to me. I'll, I'll be Mr. Purple. You're not Mr. Purple. Some guy in some other job is Mr. Purple. You're Mr. Pink. Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool-sounding name. All right, look, if it's no big deal to be Mr. Pink, you want to trade? Hey, nobody's trading with anybody. This ain't a goddamn fucking city council meeting, you know. Now listen up, Mr. Pink. There's two ways you can go on this job. My way or the highway. Now what's it gonna be, Mr. Pink? Jesus Christ, Joe. Fucking forget about it. It's beneath me, you know. I'm Mr. Pink. Let's move on. I'll move on when I feel like it. You always got the goddamn message? Goddamn man, how are you guys? I can hardly talk. Let's go to work. So Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs is my number six. Played most of the movie there. (laughs) Yeah, I know. The clip really had nothing to do with what I was going for. Although watching it again, I just I love that scene. Uh, That's a great scene. I forgot that they're filming that in the warehouse. That takes place in the warehouse. Where oh, like yeah, yeah. where like eighty five percent of that movie takes place, right? And so my number six being Reservoir Dogs is that budgetary constraints can be creatively freeing. Mm. It, it allows really good filmmakers, at least you know directors and and writers themselves, the ability to work around a problem to solve it rather than throwing money at it. It's it it encourages you to be think outside the box. Yeah. It's as, Dumb as I hate that phrase now, but it's... Which another... We've said it on here a thousand times. Another famous example is the shark wouldn't work on Jaws. If you saw it? Well, no. <laughs> through the two-thirds Mechanically. Of mechanically. Yes, it that too. It, it wouldn't work. And so they had to... The shark is not working. Yeah. They had to shoot around it. Yeah. And it, it ended up being way more effective. I, I think... What I like is it's just if you have a good story and interesting char- characters, it, it really doesn't matter where the setting is located. You just, you're just you engaged with what's going on. Having the low budget that they had for this film, uh, like 85% or more of this movie was shot in this abandoned warehouse. Apparently, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a former like mortuary or funeral home. Oh, wow. 
um, I guess there's also an upstairs office area they used upstairs. They redressed it and used it as Mr. Orange's apartment. So, so the fact that they, outside of shooting in out a few scenes out uh, on the streets and somebody's house, a restaurant, a restaurant scene, talk about tipping, yeah. And also, there's like the bathroom scene. Well, there's that whole like correlation of him telling his story, and it's slowly progressing into like this actually happened. But most of that takes place with that creative freedom of just being stuck. They're in this warehouse, and they're going to have to deal with all their shit in this warehouse. Um, the budget was so low that most of the actors brought their own clothing or wore, the, wore their own clothing outside of the one like the one suit. What's really funny is this movie is listed usually on top ten lists of best heist movies. Mm-hmm. There's no heist in it. You never see the heist. Yeah. Implied. Yeah. That's great. And that's, that's, that's the – Credit where credit is due. That's how good of a heist movie it is that you don't see the heist. It's like the before cutting of the and ear. after. The cutting yeah. off of the ear, too. You don't see it, yeah. but you see it in your mind. Yep. My alternate number six initially for this was going to be Kevin Smith's Clerks. You picked he, a better movie. He, yeah. He, but he didn't have a lot of money. And what he did have, he had the permission to use the the convenience store, but he had to shoot at night. And yeah. so the door was closed. And so he wrote into the story, someone jammed gum into the locks. He couldn't open the door. And so, hey, are you guys open? And he, it's, it becomes a running joke yeah. and works well into that movie. And so what do you being... Care, you shoot polish smelling motherfucker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my number six. So you mentioned, you mentioned a good story. And this is the one where I think maybe uh, – this is the one where I thought we would cross over. Okay. Um, I chose a story that's been done – I don't know how many number of times, however many different ways. And it's Seven Samurai. I did not. Now, I've never seen Seven Samurai. <laughs> I've never seen Magnificent Seven. But I've seen Galaxy Quest. I've seen Three Amigos. I've not seen Battle Beyond the Stars or A Bug's Life, but I've seen The A-Team. I've seen Episode Four of The Mandalorian. Uh, I've seen Star Trek Insurrection, not The Avengers. That's just a small list. That is a small list. And oh, the biggest of literally all of them is Seven uh, Magnificent Magni- Seven. Magnificent Seven. I would argue the second one is Three Amigos. I don't. I never really think about that, but yeah, yeah. you're right. It's, every, every episode of the A-Team is the same thing. Is this group of a people, group of people that come in to help save it's a, a... It's a simple... Who wasn't who wasn't picked on by at least one person, or who who at least never? It's very felt. identifiable. It's it's a it's a ironclad story. You can get behind it, and it's it's fun to watch. Each guy has their own kind of. Well, I mean, you could almost argue that Reservoir Dogs is kind of like that. And I mean, the the list I gave there, I, I maybe went through it a little fast, but it proves that the story can be done deadpan serious, like. Seven Samurai, Magnificent Seven, Bugs Life, humorous. You could do it funny. Kid, you can do it three amigos. Kids. You can yeah. do it for kids. You can do it funny. Yeah, it's, it's you, it's, you can't, it's universal. Yeah, you can't miss. You can't miss when you got good material, right? And that's I think the, the I'm going to make a movie. Okay, well, well the first question anyone's going to ask, what's it about? Well, then I'm going to – that'll easily lead me into number five. Sure. What's your number five? My number five is another Akira Kurosawa film. Four years before he did Seven Samurai, okay. called Rashomon. Four years before, he did Seven Samurai, and the film basically depicts the rape of a woman and the murder of her samurai husband through wildly differing accounts. Okay. And so you know the structure because the film is known for the plot device, now known as the Rashomon effect, where various characters provide subjective, alternative, and self-serving and sometimes uh, contradictory stories. What's really interesting with this one is there's several movies that use this. Usual Suspects? Uh, Usual Suspects is one of them. Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, Gone Girl, 
Courage Under Fire, oh, girl. Snake Eyes, Narc, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, even Star Wars, The Last Jedi, when you get different interpretations of what happens when we think Luke goes in and you think he's going to strike down Ben, mm. and then Ben gives his account, and then you get the true account later. It was neither, you know? Yeah. And then there's also, like, several television episodes throughout the 60s and on. Gilligan's Island does an episode where there are varying accounts uh, of the story that goes on. Magna P.I., The Simpsons, Star Trek, The Next Generation, even King of the Hill, you know, had episodes where all the characters recount how they saw the story. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we didn't really cross on movies, but we crossed on director. Correct. We may cross on another director. I don't know. We may. We Launching pads. So. We talked. You just you mentioned um, we might cross over on director. Um, my number five is you have to have a good, um, you have to have a reliable uh, crew, almost willing to do anything for you, and you know you got to have a good director at the helm. And I don't think we'll cross on here because mine is Ed Wood, and my movie is Plan Nine from Outer Space. <laughs> Why in the fuck would I choose this to be? On? Is this what not to do? No. Oh. This is this is passion. Passion. Okay. Truly just a, a, a crew that trusts you. Explicitly. Explicitly. <laughs> and will follow, you know, will follow you to the end of the earth. I don't care if you're making The Godfather or if you're making Plan 9 from Outer Space. If your people don't believe in you and you don't believe in them. Right. Why are you even doing it? You're going to make, you know, you're going to make garbage. One of these times we have to do Ed Wood paired with something. I would absolutely. Would be fun. Ed Wood the biopic. Ed Wood the biopic. Okay. But, yeah. But. Yeah, I would. <laughs> um. I saw him. He kind of hit the tombstone and it rattled a little bit. Do you want to do that again? No, nope. I don't even see that. Filmmaking is about the big picture. <laughs> big picture. Yes. The commitment to your process and, and the grit that his crew had. If you've seen any Ed Wood movies, it's not hard to believe that they were shot in like three days. Yeah. Or I, maybe five. I, I don't doubt that. But <laughs> I would say he had some dubious methods for getting his funding sometimes and some mm-hmm. of his props. He would straight up steal them, shoot without a permit. What filmmaker hasn't shot without a permit? You know, the point of that one for me is you just have to, yeah, it I, want, when. I want to do this and I need these people to help me do it and they need me to, to guide it. So you got to have a good cast and a, and a good, I'm sorry, you got to have a good crew and a good director. And for me, that's embodied by a number of movies, but wholly in really any Edward movie, but I chose his, I chose the one he's known for most, which is Plan 9 from Outer Space. That's my number five. My number four is simple is often better and know your strengths. And I chose uh, John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978. Yep. Uh, I don't necessarily want to retread the same ground with Reservoir Dogs, but I feel that this is going to happen because it also deals with the fact that they had a very, very small budget for this movie. And it was one of the most successful independent picture releases. I I don't know if it is the, but I know it's in that top tier. Yeah. And it was for a very long time on top for that. But – it's just another example where the film exceeds expectations because of its lack of budget. Mm-hmm. But Carpenter's Halloween succeeds due to its limited locations, creative cinematography and camera work, a very simple yet effective score. Because watch that movie without the score. It doesn't work. Can you do that? Uh, I don't know. That would be interesting to do I that. do know that I think I've watched in some of the making of documentaries of Halloween that, that before he had scored the movie, he had played it. And people looked at that and went... I don't know if this is going to work. And then he laid down the score, and then suddenly they had a completely different experience. I've said this I don't know how many times, and I, I have score comes up in mine later. Um, you, a good score for a movie is like a baseline. You shouldn't notice it. 
until it's not there. And right. then you should go, where the fuck is the score? It's, it's, it's creepy. Like when, um, mash, the TV show first came out on DVD, mm-hmm. you had the option. The only oh, option the laugh track? was is to watch it, it without the laugh track. And it was weird. It was much more serious too, correct? Well, but it well, was, but it was the funny. The tone was, the jokes were still there and the jokes were funny, but you're like, no one was, no one was laughing. Yeah. yeah. It was weird. So I, I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, I would love to watch that without the score. That would what it feels like. Oh, that would be that really would be weird. Uh, I also put down a mic. It's also one of the two films in the '70s that kind of really opened the the chasm to create the slasher genre. Basically, like the original title was "The Babysitter Murders." Thank God they decided, hey, you know what? Let's just have it all pretty much take place on one night. Yeah, we'll call it Halloween. It reduces wardrobe and the cost for that reduces locations it had a budget of three hundred thousand. half of that budget was just the camera panavision they wanted mm. the good wide scope panavision and 20 to twenty-five thousand dollars of that budget was also uh donald sutherland's uh donald pleasant uh, donald, yeah, donald sutherland. he was in halloween no he was not <laughs> donald pleasant that's you- for his and i think he was in the movie for five days you he talk shot about for five days. playing to your strengths in that you have to rely on your your actors. For yeah, your you got Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, she was not unknown at the time, but it was her. It was one of her very first. Yeah, it may have been her first like feature feature, or at least her first feature for and you play starring in you, the lead. You you play to that. You rely on that. And Donald Pleasance, you know, Jesus man, the dude is walking intensity. Yeah, which if you don't have anything else to say, that leads me right into my number four, which mm-hmm. is you have to have a cast. It is helpful. A good, it makes it more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I watched one of those art fart films. It was just a banana taped to a wall for two hours. It was not very engaging. Um, I was already 90 minutes in. I said, I might as well just finish this out. <laughs> <laughs> Balls deep in this banana. <laughs> might as well. Um, and the, a, a movie that I have seen, uh, a movie that actually Jamie and I watched it. Uh, Balls think, deep in a banana? No. Um, a oh. movie that I think a lot of people have mistaken for Coen Brothers, which is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah, it has those flavors. And that cast. That's good. That's a good movie. Sam Rockwell, Woody Harrelson. Um, Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand is really those three because the tension is between yeah, those three. the three of them. Sometimes you'll read, especially doing this podcast, we find out that so-and-so was the third choice. For this, and sometimes that works out, and sometimes you have to go. No, I wrote this for Frances McDormand. She slays in that movie. I don't know. That was, you've seen it, right? Yes. Who directed that? I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I couldn't now. remember either. But um, Joel Cohen <laughs> <laughs> and Ethan Cohen. No, it, uh, they were so good in in like that that scene where Woody Harrelson he has that that great evening with his family, right? Puts his daughters to bed, kisses his wife, and you see it's cut interstitially with him. Right, in that suicide note, and he goes out in the bar and puts the bag on his head and blows his head off. Dude, they're so fucking good Spoiler. in this movie. Yeah, sorry. If you haven't seen it, it's, man, it's not funny. No, but I was just laughing at that he gave us – that's been not long enough. You should know. Or uh, surprise, now you're no longer going to be surprised with that They're one. so good in it, it almost hurts to look at them. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, well, you also ugh. don't get that exacting justice at the end. You just get – the two driving off knowing that's where they're headed. Yeah. 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 It, oh man, that movie's so good. It's not a um It is a down it is a it is a it's a downer. It is a downer. And it's movie. not uh it's not it's I would say it's rewatchable, but it's not one of those you're like, man, let's watch that. You're like, no, it's more like it's been a couple years. I wonder if I can let's, handle let's, this one let's again. Let's walk down that road again. <laughs> yeah. I forget who does it. Who throws him out the second story window? I can't Sam Rockwell's a dick in that movie. <laughs> 
but man. But he makes it, his arc is interesting. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, that's what I'm saying, man. You a cast, mm-hmm. iron clad cast is what you have. That's my number four. What's your number three? My number three is surrounding yourself with great collaborators, and I chose The Conversation. Okay. That is Francis Ford Coppola's film that he shot between the two Godfathers. I chose this one because it's really the perfect example of masterful screenwriting. It's also – it has this excellence in film editing and sound design. Okay. Um, I've still not seen it. I also chose this because I didn't want to have to choose between the two Godfather films. Wait, let me stop you. <laughs> Did he call it so-and-so's The Conversation? Uh, I don't know because it was his original script. Oh, so he wrote it. it. Okay. called The okay. Conversation. Yeah. Okay. Coppola did write as well as direct this film. Okay. I did not know that. It was an original for him. And, and so in the most simplest explanation of the plot, the movie is about a paranoid surveillance uh, expert who – has a crisis of conscience when he suspects that a couple of whom he's currently spying on um, will actually be murdered. The brilliance of the film is how the story just unfolds to the audience and how you don't learn what's going on until your main protagonist learns what's going on. Kind of like Rear Window. Right. There's okay. that reveal. Is everything going on? Is every- <laughs> What's going on here? I don't know. And so this is a monumental achievement by one of Coppola's um, frequent collaborators, editor and sound designer Walter Murch, who did The Godfathers. He's done Apocalypse Now. He's done a lot of stuff all the way through the 2000s even. It's how he structures that narrative and working with the sound design as well because all of it is pretty much um, audio capture. And you're capturing three different – three or four different points and you're really? trying to put together everything to get that narrative. And so you don't know everything that's going on until he starts – Structuring it okay. later. Okay. Really good. Next time I come over, I'll bring it. Let yeah. you. It sounds interesting. Or see if it's on Netflix. It could see, be on I, Netflix right now. It's 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 it is definitely a seventies paced movie. I always got to accept that. I'm it's t- so it's good. Cop- if it's Coppola, it's if it's Coppola, especially in the seventies, the boring parts are even interesting. As correct. Well. I I always just thought it was. Um, I I had it in my head it was Friedkin for some reason. You may be thinking of a different picture. You're probably thinking of French Connection because I, I am. Because that's Gene, Gene, Gene Hackman. Hackman. That's the Gene Hackman connection. Yeah, he's <laughs> um, not French. <laughs> probably Irish. By the time he had finished shooting this film, he had to go off and start pre-production and start shooting Godfather Part Two, and so he put the reliance of everything that needed to be completed pretty much in his hands to go. Gotcha. Make this work. The only reason why Coppola was even able to make the conversation is because how successful. The Godfather, Godfather was. Yeah. And so it was on his terms to be able to do it. Sometimes finding those movies where it's in between two really good classics, and it doesn't happen very often, but conversation is just really powerful in that regards. So I would recommend it if you haven't seen it too. You mentioned that it, it up. you mentioned as a uh, bit of a caution that the conversation has seventies pacing. It does. My number three is pacing and I think there's no better movie to highlight, display, pacing than Back to the Future. <laughs> That's a good choice. It's boom, 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 boom. Doesn't languish in any way. You're entertained from start to finish. And we've talked about it again on here a number of times. Nothing slows down. Nothing lags. Nothing. You are at least shoulders tense mm-hmm. when Marty's getting ready to fire up the DeLorean and drive down Main Street there. I gotta you, go home to eighty five. You you still are ah, it's okay. Is he gonna do it? it yeah. Still, you know it's a that's more that's more tension, right? But 
the pacing of that movie. You, they, again, you don't. I would say The Burbs is the same way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. What did we watch last? We watched Alien last night. Aliens. No, the first one. The first one last mm-hmm. night. We, well, I, we I watched both. Jamie okay. fell asleep. Okay. And uh, I watched Alien and Aliens. We'll talk about that at another point. But the pacing of Alien, I was watching it, and I'm like, it's good. I, mm-hmm. It's a classic. But it doesn't. The, There's no Alien Three. The I'm the pacing of Alien doesn't. It's a time for another conversation. But yeah, yeah. that is. The, it the, takes its time. You ha, it has to take its time. And it doesn't. But the pacing of Alien doesn't. It's not necessary. You could cut some stuff out. You probably could. and nowadays they would. I know what you mean. Um, like I said, we've talked about it on here before, especially when we talked about Back to the Future last season. If you haven't listened to that, go give it a listen. Back to the Future, Teen Wolf. Uh, so I don't. I won't drill onto it too much, but. Uh, I think Back to the Future is a specimen. That's what I was trying to say. A specimen of perfect pacing for a movie. And that's bare bones, simple. That's my number three. That is, that's a good number three. My number two, I chose Duel from 1971. Spielberg's TV movie that eventually he turned in, that the studio turned into a feature length release. Love that movie. Yeah. The, the worst thing about that whole movie. Dennis Weaver. Exactly. <laughs> if you can get past that, it's, Fantastic. He's, the he's downside numbers. is you got to deal with Dennis Weaver through the entire movie. And it's really just him. And it's, yeah, it's him and a red car and a truck. Every now and again, he'll go into a restaurant. Yeah. And then freak out with his thinking, overthinking. Like I put down here, I'm like, I chose Spielberg's duel at its most basic and primalistic qualities as a survival film. Okay. You know, yeah, it's man versus machine or more importantly, man versus an unknown evil. Yeah. You know, uh, the film also plays on how we as humans can have overactive imaginations, how much is, of this is in his head mm-hmm. to how much of this is like legitimately real, <laughs> you know, yeah. because when he's in that restaurant and he's thinking about walking up on, on some people and, and confronting them in his mind and you're like, I don't know if that's the smartest idea thinking that, well, this guy got out of the truck. It must be him. I'm looking for boots and I saw boots and yeah, yeah. yeah there's just, there's all that just kind of playing in his head. He's not a very sympathetic character. No, he's, he's a not. whiny little bitch in that movie to, yeah. be, to be blunt about it. Yes. But, but do you think you though, still identify with the fact that imagine if you were in the same situation. Yeah. But which yes. speaks to the story, I think. And not, Correct. The, he's not, he's not bad. He's just he's no Francis McDormand. How about he's that? He's not as sympathetic. There's a bit of an acidic aftertaste with his, with him on screen. Like for those that don't know what Duel is, and it's very simple. The plot of Duel is where Jaws with a semi. Yeah, it's a business commuter who is being pursued and terrorized. It doesn't he like yeah. aggressively pass the semi and it pisses him off or something? He the the truck is going slow. He chooses to pass it, um, and then the truck barrels on down past him, and then that's just what starts it. Yeah. And what's worse is, is you look at the truck and there's like all of these like license plates all over the front of the frame, and you huh. wonder if those are trophies, other victims. I haven't trophies. seen it. I haven't seen it. Like in the a truck in itself is the serial killer. It's not you know. It's like the truck is well that, that's making the, the point, guy you, drive. You never see the driver. You see no, his you arm. Never. You yeah, see his arm in his boots. Yeah, there's three things. You see him. Waving, wave. wave like, come on, yep. pass over. There's no cars coming this yeah. way right now on <laughs> oncoming traffic. Come on over. Yeah. That's what's really great. And Richard Matheson, who, who well, wrote Well, there it, you go. It's a Richard Matheson. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that makes a lot of sense now. This, a lot of Twilight Zone. This episode. event happened to him, obviously. <laughs> Not everything. He was killed by a truck. Right. And then he wrote it. The story that he actually published, it was a short story that he published in, in Playboy, where he had an encounter with a tailgating truck. 
on the day that Kennedy was assassinated. Oh. And it just sparked everything, and he wrote it out, and they're like, oh, this works. But Spielberg states that, that fear of the unknown is probably one of the greatest fears of all, which sure. I can totally see that. And Duel really plays heavily into Human nature, that movie. Man. No, like, I love relying it. That's on, a great pick. Yeah, my alternate was going to be Jaws, but well, you said that, that is. I'm going to go right into my number two, which is you have to have a good, like we said earlier, a good score or a good soundtrack, and I chose Jaws <laughs> because Jaws has one of the most. Come on, yeah. So that's the most recognizable film score, other than Star Wars. But yeah. Star Wars isn't really. I mean, it's it's good part for of the, you, John Williams. It's yeah, it's part of the score, but it's. I guess they both. Evoke that, an emotion. That but, shark is that score. But you hear, you hear the the first bits of Jaws, and you, the hairs on your neck might stand up a little bit. This movie is forty five years old, and anybody who has had just enough of a knowledge of movies knows when you go. Dun, dun. Yep. And God oh. help you if you do it at the beach. <laughs> Group of bathers. <laughs> you say your dad did do that to your. He was once? going to. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he decided I should probably not cause a riot. No, but I thought he said he may have done that to you once. He would do it if, 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 I, was, if okay. I was in the pool at the yeah, house. I'm done. And like a little bitch, I would run and get out of the pool. Um, I Swimming also, in a pool at night is just, and you know, there's nothing connecting, and there's still that primal. I know. Fear of am I going to get eaten? No, you idiot. This is cement and water. It's a character, a score. Yes. So is the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So I went a little sideways, and I also chose Empire Records. Could also have done Days and Confused because they both they use the soundtrack as a means to move you into another scene and kind of evoke the same emotion. Okay, like when they're at, when they're at the uh, uh, oh shit, they're trying to save, they raise the money to save the record store, right? And they have the uh, I guess it's like a blowout bash or whatever. Correct, and do, some type of party, yeah, and event. It's been a little while since I've not Nick Cave and Renee Zellweger sing that song on the on the marquee out front. Before or after she shaves her head. That's not she doesn't shave her head. Oh, who Renee, is it? Oh, that's uh, uh, Renee Zellweger. That's who shaves her head. Renee no. Zellweger doesn't shave her head. It's uh, I someone can't, else. I can't remember her name. She was the girl that was in the craft. As well, that's who it is. Robin something. Robin, right? yep. Uh, I can't think. Tooney, Tooney. Yep. Sure. Okay. Um, Good talk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we sidetracked on that one quite a bit, a little bit. But um, <laughs> Jaws, there it is. Uses the uses the the score as a character, a mood setter. It really is, and so does Empire Records with their just in a different way. Yeah, it's just right, but it's just a little more on the note. One is score, one is just soundtrack yeah. music. Hey, but, just yeah. in case you misinterpret this, this is a happy moment in the movie. Boom. Also, uh, buy the soundtrack. It's really fucking good. <laughs> I would argue that soundtracks are the poor person's uh, score. Sometimes it can be that way. It can be both. But it's sometimes not the poor person's you, score. Because we've established depending on you're, that, a, you're a big scores guy. And it also costs a lot of money to compose contain, an original. Yeah, or yeah. to contain uh, to uh, acquire the rights to play it in your movie. So depending on what it is that you're doing. Both are effective. They're just a little little different. So I, I chose a good score or a good soundtrack. My number one is learning from your mistakes. And while this has nothing to do necessarily with the story... It's a life lesson. <laughs> um, I chose North by Northwest. 
Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knows who Alfred Hitchcock is, or at least most people most know people who. Do. We've heard that. Um, name. Everyone knows his film Psycho, Rear Window. We brought that up earlier. Strangers on the Train, Notorious, Vertigo, just to name a few. I chose North by Northwest because it was Hitchcock's direct reaction to his previous film, Vertigo, which was a critical and box office failure at the time. I have to be in the right mood to want to watch Vertigo. You know, it has an unconventional narrative structure and can be downright depressing, but North by Northwest, I can I can put that DVD, I can put that Blu-ray in my player anytime and just be entertained. Okay. Because the tone and structure is so different. It's it's one of his more crowd-pleasing films. I would argue. I would agree with that. Not you know? Argue. I would agree with um, that. Those who don't know, he basically goes on the run after he's mistaken for somebody else. And so I see it as a great way to inspire young filmmakers to know that even while you're down, you may not be out. And while people may not like this, a lot of art is usually never appreciated in its own time period. Kind of with Hitchcock, depending on the movie, a lot of his stuff... It betters with age. It betters with age. I think he was appreciated in his He was appreciated with his time, but there are ones where they did not do well that are now looked upon as... Masterpieces. Masterpieces. And Vertigo is one of them, but I love how he was like, well, if no one liked this, I'm going to fire right back and go in a completely different direction. Okay. Make it a little more lighthearted. I'm going to get Cary Grant, who's charming as hell in this movie he's charming in a lot he's of movies Cary Grant, yeah. he's Cary Grant he was born with a you know he made a movie for everyone it's humor romance murder suspense adventure all bundled up in about two hours that that's what I like is that he, you know he was already on the decline even though when you really think about it in less than 12 months he's going to release Psycho which kind of relaunched his career that's for his, a little bit yeah, you know movie. have you ever heard of a movie have you ever heard of Moving Buddies Moving Buddies Mm-mm. Have you ever heard of the tribal rights of the new Saturday night? No. Have you ever heard of Spaceman from Pluto? That sounds vaguely familiar. Mm-hmm. It's because those are alternate titles oh. for very famous movies. You have to have a good title. And the ti- the movie I chose to represent the – I chose Snakes on a Plane <laughs> because – well, fuck it. In the words of Samuel L. Jackson, I got on set one day and found out that they changed the title to, quote, Pacific Flight 121. And I said, what are you doing here? This isn't Gone with the Wind or On the Waterfront. It's snakes on a plane. People hear snakes on a plane and they go, yeah, I get it. I'm here. I'm here for that. Boom. I know fucking what I'm getting into. <laughs> There's no – Pacific no, Flight 121 right. would have been a bomb. This movie isn't good. It's meant to be bad. Right. It's, it's me- purposeful. Yeah, it's made it's as a madness. joke. And that's – they knew that and that's that, – that's, boom. Effective. Right. You have to have an effective title. So – Spaceman from Pluto uh, was some old balls studio guy that had been at the lot for 100 years. He thought the title of Back to the Future should be Spaceman from Pluto. Yeah. And that he was old balls enough that they couldn't offend him by going, yeah, Morty, we're not fucking doing that. You're an idiot. Go back to it was a Yeah, so I think Spielberg said a – Wrote a note pretending that note. he thought it was Hey, a that was joke. a great joke. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> oh, it, uh, you ever heard of Star Beast? No. It's called Alien. Oh. Um, the Tribal Rights of the New Saturday Night, Saturday Night Fever. Mm, okay. And Moving Buddies, you know what that is? Um, no. Toy Story. <laughs> there were several for Toy Moving Story. Moving Buddies? That sounds like an 80s comedy, dude. Where like Starring two guys like Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. And Charlie Sheen. I was going to, well, I was going to, I'll steal the plot. They work for a moving company and they, they see a guy get murdered and they end up moving the body, you know, inadvertently, unknowingly moving the body because it's in a box or something. Right. Yeah. It just sounds like a, that's, 
No, no. Toy Story. Again, you know what you're getting into. Back to the Future might be a little, but it's got future. It's got time travel. You know what you're getting into. Alien? Yeah. Yeah, it's an alien. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to guess there's an alien in this movie. It's it's, it's simple, but... Very effective yeah. in how it's used. I'm not saying they all have to be like... They're not all winners, too. Sometimes well, you go get go back one. to three three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. That is a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. It is. That but is a mouthful. A, if you, what's it about? Fucking <laughs> three billboards outside of this town in Missouri. You could arguably call it woman's daughter gets murdered and raped and she goes on a revenge trip, but that yeah. doesn't have the same ring. Also a mouthful of a title. <laughs> you, sir. But it kind of gives away... But some the, of the plot. The, <laughs> the producers of Snakes on a Plane thought that the title gave away too much. And it's like, there ain't much to give away in your movie. Yeah. You know? If you're, if, if, if you're worried about that, write a stronger story. But you're making an exploitation film. And I'm drilling down on Snakes on a Plane. I mean, wasn't the movie, like, created out of initially a, a line that they wanted? I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. Like, if that's your basis for your... Your story. Why? Why care about Anything changing the else. title of Pacific yeah. whatever one hundred and one Pacific Flight one hundred and twenty one, which okay. is a cool title. Yeah, for, for not snakes on a plane. Exactly. That's my number one. And I, I hope I hope this episode wasn't confusing for you guys. We hope we explained it before we started. And if not, uh, go back and listen again because I think we pretty much explained it. A explained couple of times. It. Hope you guys are enjoying or have enjoyed this season of Pick Six. Mm-hmm. Hit us up. The socials, Instagram, we don't really do Twitter, Facebook, yeah. T-shirts, stickers, hit us up. You can go to sixpackdoublefeature.com um, and shoot us an inquiry if you're curious or anything T-shirts like that. are 8 bucks plus shipping. Come with a free sticker. We're working on a new logo that you guys will probably – Hopefully you, you will have seen it by now when you hear this episode. Beauty. Yeah. Um, go to wherever you – Wherever you uh, cast your pods, leave us, a, leave us a five star. You can say something if you want. That'd yeah. be cool. Uh, if you don't like it, just, just shut the fuck up. Don't just move on. There's other, other move pod- along. Yeah, move along. This move is along. not the podcast you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, stay off the moors and be good to each other. We'll talk at you later. Six Pack Double Feature is a Clopec Media production. You can like and follow them on Facebook at Six Pack Double Feature Podcast and on Instagram at Six Pack Double Feature. They aren't on Twitter because Twitter is dumb. By a month, a month. Oh, I gotta start that one over. <laughs> malevolent, malevolent. I tripped over a malevolent.